Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. East Carolina University in North Carolina is certainly a powerhouse in education, but it means a lot more than that in to Eastern North Carolina. It means jobs, it means a medical school, it means a leadership position in the Eastern part of the state. Later on this program, Dr. Philip Rogers, the new ECU chancellor will join us. Before that, we will start and take a look at what is going on across the Carolinas with our panelists. And we start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Patrick Woody from the NC Rural Center, Alan Smith of One Spartanburg, Inc., and special guest, Dr. Philip Rogers, Chancellor of East Carolina University. Well, welcome again to our program, Patrick, Alan, good to see you both. Patrick, I'm gonna start with you. So is the Fed's debate, an infrastructure bill, 550 billion of it, half of it is gonna go things like transportation, rural broadband. That is something you know something about. Um, Patrick, separately, I've heard some concerns that broadband seems like an easy thing for us to do during COVID, but yet it seems to be losing momentum. Do you share that fear? Uh, I don't. Um, I do sh share a particular concern, but I don't share a, a fear that the focus on broadband is not there. Um, I think the level of debate that is happening, there is no more bipartisan agreement in the North Carolina General Assembly than around rural broadband. And the level of that discussion between the governor and the two houses of our General Assembly really make that clear. We're now having a conversation about around a billion dollars in investment. And, and in recent years, we've been having a conversation around 15 or 30 million. So it dramatic commitment uh, because of America's Rescue Plan Act, making that an easy, uh, easier decision, at least for the state. And the new federal infrastructure bill ha has, as it's written right now, around $100 billion in broadband for North Carolina. Um, so on top of um, you know, what looks to be close to a billion dollar investment by the General Assembly. Alan Spartanburg, of course, as you know, can be certainly urban, but not very far outside the city can pretty be pretty rural. How does this idea of broadband access in rural areas, how does this square with you? How would you characterize it? Well, you're right. In fact, five or six years ago, we worked with a group called Connect SC to really map out where our deficiencies were. And there are plenty of them. Uh, there are plenty of places in the county where there's no internet or slow internet. And so like Patrick, we welcome the discussion and welcome action 
on all the investment that's coming into our respective communities. And, and Patrick and I were talking about it earlier, and I agree with him. It really is an economic development proposition. Uh, it's up to leaders like us to to convince the providers that, you know, and how's the time? There's never going to be this much money involved in rural broad, broadband. We were also talking about this is an education issue. And, you know, we saw what happened um, last summer as kids returned to school and they didn't have access to internet. Uh, it was a real issue in terms of kids falling behind in reading and math and so on and so forth. And it's going to be an issue again come this summer if we don't get our mind around this. Um, let's talk a little bit about a debate going on. Of course, there's a Delta variant about COVID and that has, has reignited some fear. But really, it almost seems like it's not so much about a public health crisis as it is about a perso personal rights issue. And the, the battle lines have been drawn in, in wearing masks and having to get vaccinations. Uh, uh, Patrick, we'll start with you again. In rural North Carolina, in those yeah. outside the urban cores, what is that debate like? And is, is that more about resources and access to a vaccination or is that some type of personal uh, uh, challenge? Uh, it's a it's a real challenge. Our vaccination rates uh, across rural North Carolina are not at all where they need to be. We've got a lot of work to do. We have seen the pace of vaccination picking up in the last couple of weeks as the Delta variant has become so uh, predominant. And as I think people are noticing a spike in, in new infections and in, in new hospitalizations, but unfortunately, it's not being seen as a health issue. It is too much a, um, a, um, a political or a personal point of view issue. And you know, the science is real clear um, about the importance of vaccinations and the level of um, protection that it affords. Um, it's, it's, there is so much um, misinformation uh, in that that people are are getting their hands on it is really uh, misleading a lot of of people I think unfortunately. Well, Alan, why has this turned into a civil civil liberties issue? You think again? Well, you know, I, I think unfortunately in politics it seems to be advantageous to divide people, and I, I think you see a lot of that. Um, I've even read about um, politicians polling these issues just to see where people are. And, you know, I think now's not the time for that. Now's the time for real leadership to do what's best. I mean, look, June, I'm fortunate. Uh, the, the president of Spartanburg Medical Center, uh, Division of Spartanburg Regional Healthcare System is the current chair of my board. Um, so we're equipped with the latest and greatest data. June 25th, Spartanburg County, we had three COVID cases earlier this week, 71. That's about a 2,400% increase. And of those 71 cases, 94% were unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's watching this and they're looking for any compelling reason to get vaccinated, that's it. Is, would you agree with that, Patrick? Is that, is that what it comes down to? Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. We're seeing similar numbers um, in our rural counties. Um, Congress extended a moratorium on um, evictions through October 3rd. Um, inevitably, evictions are going to have to happen. Is there an orderly way for us to handle this? Uh, Patrick, again, I want to stay with you on this. 
Is there a way to handle not just the evictions, but you overlay the fact that we've had historic rise in real estate prices, that we've talked about uh, affordable housing initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. Is this stew of housing and primary residents? How, how do we find our way through it? Well, it's a complicated, um, it is a complicated issue to find our way through. There's no question about it. Uh, there's unprecedented resources that are available to help uh, tenants uh, and landlords that are having trouble collecting rent or, or paying their rent. Um, the, there, but there seems to be a real disconnect, not only in North Carolina, but in states all across the country um, around uh, accessing those resources that are available and now have been extended for a little bit of time. So that's a huge concern compounded by, as I listen to some of our rural partners all across uh, the state, um, we, I think, generally are aware of the, the real estate, um, uh, the demand uh, for um, housing, um, and how what that's doing to prices right now. Uh, and we think, particularly, we hear a lot about metropolitan areas, but I can tell you that's, yeah. being, feel, that's being felt in my rural home, Allegheny um, County, uh, North Carolina, uh, this, the same way as I talk to realtors there about the enormous price pressures um, on, um, you know, sellers are getting more than they're asking and, and buyers are having a hard time uh, getting an offer in before before a house is under contract. Uh, so it, it, it is an issue that is that crosses this urban rural divide. It, it exists in both places. You know, Alan, Alan this can't be it's, it's got to be a dialogue you're having in one Spartanburg, but also your members, but also the city. Is there a compassionate way to that we need to approach evictions? the inevitability of evictions? I, mean, I think the obvious answer to that uh, is yes. Um, but, you know, and, and I want to kind of flip it a little bit and just talk about availability of housing in general. Um, and we've had the opportunity to really be proactive in this space. I'm sitting right now in downtown Spartanburg and within five miles of where I'm sitting, there are 2,200 multifamily units either in the pipeline or under construction. And almost all of them have a mixed income component, at least some percentage of it. And so other communities around us have, 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 have grown quicker maybe in the past while we've been a little bit more stagnant. That's changing now. I mean, our investment level and our new job creation number is outpacing every community in South Carolina, quite frankly, as far as a county is concerned. So we've been able to watch others getting this affordable housing issue, and we're taking some proactive steps right now that as new stuff is coming out of the ground, um, we're building a housing trust fund. We're ensuring that in our development deals that a certain percentage of it has got to be affordable. So do we have the issue licked completely? No, but we've been given the opportunity to be more proactive about it. We're going to we're going to bring our guest in in just a moment. You know, I, I don't want to let this go without saying something. But, Alan, I want to single you out here because I know the Spartanburg Chamber, also known as One Spartanburg, was uh, recently uh, awarded uh, the number one chamber in category three of all chambers in the country. Congratulations. That's no small feat. And um, I know you deflect it to many other members within your organization. But uh, well done, Alan. Congratulations. I was hoping you'd bring that up. Um, I, I'll just say this. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a great honor for our organization, but we think it's national affirmation that something special is happening in Spartanburg, South Carolina. 
Pitt County is an important place in Eastern North Carolina. It's an important place in North Carolina. Uh, and notwithstanding, because it is the home base for ECU, East Carolina University, joining us now is someone that has been highly anticipated to be back in the county and certainly in the chancellor's chair. We, we welcome to the dialogue, Dr. Philip Rogers, chancellor at East Carolina University. Dr. Rogers, welcome back home and congratulations. Well, thank you, Chris. It's great to be back home, and I'm excited to be with all of you today. Somebody said of you, and it was an informal comment, but it was pretty telling. Uh, this, this person was very excited about you being back, it, it head of Pirate Nation, and this person said that they were thrilled because you know the tribal nature of Eastern North Carolina. And that, that was a good comment because it seems that Pitt County and the board and the medical school and ECU and everything in orbit around that needed to have some orderly and solid direction. So let's start out with an academic question. Uh, many students expect uh, an informal survey has, has shown that students expect that while they may be wearing masks, that they may not even be in class, that they're going to be uh, again, remote sometime this year. How do you how do you come down on that? Where do you think uh, you're going to start? Well, first of all, Chris, thanks for the the kind comment on the front end about the uh, the connection to Eastern North Carolina. There's there's no doubt this is my home. This job is deeply deeply personal to me. We have no choice but to get it right, bring people together, and uh, make East Carolina University as successful as we possibly can be. And uh, at the very beginning of that is uh, being successful in how we kick off this new academic semester. And what you just described is the, uh, the topic of conversation right now across not just the University of North Carolina system, not just East Carolina University, but all of American higher education. Uh, I was on a call earlier this week with about 15 or so other college presidents from around the country, especially around the Southeast. We get together on a regular basis to share best practices, strategies for what to expect when, when we launch the fall in 2021 here in this new semester in just a couple of weeks. And I think one of the things that we, we all recognized was that uh, there is going to be quite a few questions about what it's going to look like. We're launching a new semester that's coming on the heels of one of the most really the most challenging academic years we've ever experienced, where colleges and universities across the country dealt with significant frustration, uh, disappointment about having to make this pivot to online. And we're now preparing for a fall that we can plan with a little bit more certainty, a little bit more confidence that we can maintain a strategy that we know we can keep our students safe, we can keep our employees safe. And so we're intending to, to open with as normal of operations as possible in the fall. We have a large majority of our classes that will be face-to-face. -face. Uh, we already have a pretty strong portfolio of, of online learning uh, classes and deliverables. And so uh, that was a, a position of strength for us uh, in fall of 2020, but we're moving back to that right mix. Uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we'll have double occupancy dorm rooms mm -hmm. uh, in the residence halls right behind me. There are students moving in right now. The dining halls will be open. Athletics will be in full swing, and, and we're being very thoughtful about the right mitigation strategies uh, that we can apply to ensure we can keep them here over the course of the semester. Patrick? Chancellor, it's a pleasure to spend time with you. Uh, you sit in the middle of Eastern North Carolina, a, a native of Eastern North Carolina. Um, I, we would argue at the Rural Center, uh, leading the most important anchor institution in all of Eastern North Carolina and, and beyond, really, uh, beyond just the borders of our own state. But I'd love to you, for you to talk a little bit about the vision you have for 
um, the, the university as a real driver of the economic development future of the greater region? Uh, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, as we, we talked about on the, at the very beginning, Eastern North Carolina is my home. Uh, I've lived in Greenville my entire life. Uh, and so uh, that was a great foundation for this role is knowing the people, knowing the area, being able to get out in the community and not have to ask where Deep Run is or a Husky or Straits or, you know, whatever it may be, some small town in eastern North Carolina that we serve. And, you know, I think first and, and foremost, we have to recognize that in all we do, um, the mission of East Carolina University is at the core of uh, what we think about when we wake up and we lead this institution and make decisions each and every day. I've, I've traveled all over this country uh, in a part of my role at the American Council on Education. There's 4,000 colleges and universities around the United States, Ivy's public flagships, community colleges, two-year, four-year, private liberal arts. I've seen them all. Uh, I've asked folks to trust me. Nobody authentically delivers on those three core components of our mission than ECU does, and they're all rooted in driving the economic interests of, of Eastern North Carolina. And so you think about the hottest topic in higher education right now, student success, and how do we get more students in the door from rural underserved areas? How do we keep them here? How do we graduate them in, in four years with minimal debt, build them as strong citizens, and then send them back out into the workforce of our region uh, to contribute to, to the economy of, of North Carolina and Eastern North Carolina? that's what student success looks like. That's what we're built to do at ECU. That's why, why we're here. And we haven't even talked about that second component, public service, the core to our DNA and, and founding of, of our institution. And then, of course, uh, the reason why uh, my colleagues and I at ECU wake up each and every day and come to work is regional transformation, um, healthcare access, cultural impact, educational attainment opportunity, uh, that $3.8 billion impact that we make on, on Eastern North Carolina. And uh, we could go deep on any and all of those topics, including our millennial campus and research innovation work that we're doing. Uh, it all has a role to play in, in driving the economic future of, of especially that 29 county region east of I-95. That's who we're here to serve. Alan? As a pirate myself, I am so excited that we have uh, someone that understands the personality of Eastern North Carolina, the people of, of Eastern North Carolina, and, our, and really our state as a whole, because as the Chancellor mentioned, I mean, the motto, motto is soiree to serve. And I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again. The fact of the matter is, if you're, if you're cared for in a hospital, that nurse probably came from ECU, and you walk in a classroom and the person standing at the front, more than likely that person came from ECU. But I'm going to pivot a little bit and go right into the private sector, Chancellor, and, and talk a little bit about talent. I was very impressed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, North Carolina launched a first in talent campaign strategy. I, I took a look at it, read it, very impressed by it. Tell, tell the viewers, uh, where does ECU fit in terms of meeting the talent needs of, of the business community? Well, we, we have to play a key role in raising the educational attainment opportunities of our state. And I, you know, there's so many different ways that higher education is changing right now that we're, we're gonna have to figure out the right strategy to meet both our students where they are, but also uh, the workforce uh, where it is as well and develop more strategic connections between workforce opportunities and the learning pathways of students, whether it's a collaboration with community colleges, whether it's going out into 
the biopharma industry, uh, like we're doing with our Eastern Region Pharma Center here at ECU to help workers upskill and reskill uh, how they can strengthen their approach to the work that they're doing. Uh, we really play a critical role, an integral role in, in creating and, and supporting small business industry in Eastern North Carolina and small rural communities through programs like RISE 29 uh, that's funded by the Golden Leaf Foundation. It connects small businesses to resources at the university to underserved communities. Uh, we're, we're leveraging our Small Business and Technology Development Center. We've just recently launched within the last couple of years the Miller Entrepreneurship School within our College of Business. It helps to generate new and interesting ideas that can be launched uh, and activated uh, within our community. And of course, the Isley Innovation Hub, uh, another part of our, our work at ECU that allows us to bring innovation from our faculty and our students out into the communities to connect with business and industry. And I, I have a real passion for making sure that we develop the right academic modalities so that we can go out and work with industry in Eastern North Carolina and across the state, find out uh, what their needs are in terms of what the workforce of the future needs to look like, and then build the right academic programs that we can place right in front of them to ensure that ECU students are coming out and meeting the workforce needs of, of those particular areas within our state. Chancellor, let me cut and paste that, that comment you just made, the educational attainment uh, phrase. How much do you value, how much are you uh, monitoring, watching what the educational attainment that some say it was a lost year of educational attainment, whatever it is, however it's valued, how do you transpose what that risk was into freshmen that are coming in now? How do you look at that? How do you watch it? How do you make sure that the credibility of that education is where it needs to be? Yeah, and I think, Chris, we have to expand that beyond just the freshmen who are coming in and make sure that we're taking a careful look at the returning students who started their first college experience as freshmen last year in the fall of 2020. We're here on our campus, we're on Chapel Hill's campus, NC State, virtually every campus in the United States, and turned around after two weeks and had to go back home or to go to some other environment to engage in an online learning experience. In a lot of ways, we've got 8,000 of our, 9,000, 9, 10,000 of our almost 28, 29,000 students on our campus who are coming to East Carolina University for the very first time in person this fall. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of ways, there's two freshman classes that we're going to be serving, two freshman classes that haven't had those engagement experiences, those student activities, the exposure to athletics and cultural and arts, uh, to our academic advising center. Uh, so we're, you know, we're thinking really carefully about how to take some of the stimulus dollars that were provided from the federal government. We've received um, 19 or so million in the first round, close to 30 million in the second round, and then more than 50 million in the third round of stimulus funding. The, the, the first two rounds were uh, opportunities to patch some holes and revenue losses. But this third round, we've been very, very strategic about how we can think about um, applying some of those student success uh, opportunities to uh, post-COVID environment uh, that we're facing right now. And so uh, we're, we're investing in artificial intelligence and automated learning technologies learning assistants, virtual tutor, tutors, hybrid learning environments so that we can meet students where they are at a time when higher education isn't going back to the way it was before COVID. Uh, we have to make some good strategic investments now so that we could be prepared for what's coming over the next five or 10 years uh, with these students who have been through this experience. Uh, Patrick, we have about two minutes left. You get the last question. 
Sure, and I'd like to make this one a little personal. Uh, at the Rural Center, we do a lot of leadership development work, and anecdotally, one of the things we're seeing is a lot of uh, Native uh, people who have moved away from their community and lived a lot of their professional life somewhere else, and, and they bring, but they're returning um, to their communities, and they're returning, and they're getting involved, and they're making a difference. So as a Native um, uh uh, North Carolinian from Eastern North Carolina, just a, a simple question. Can you go home again? And how's that experience been for you? Well, I, when I left ECU back in 2013, uh, I always intended to come back home. Uh, I left for an intentional purpose, which was to go out into the world of American higher education, the global world of higher education, gain a new set of experiences that I could then bring back and apply to my hometown, to my university, a place that I wanted to see succeed. And so um, I'm, I'm here to make ECU uh, a uh, mission aligned institution in all that we do to ensure that we're future focused in every decision that we're making. We're looking around corners. Uh, we're making sure that we're preparing ourselves for the next generation of students who look very different uh, than the students we've been serving in the past and to ensure that we wrap, that we wrap innovation uh, around all of those things. And so, uh, that's why I came home uh, to lead our mission to transform rural health care in eastern North Carolina. We're doing that through a great partnership with our local hospital here and uh, the creation of ECU Health. And uh, it's a great joy to be back and to be able to deliver uh, on that promise uh, that we've made for uh, more than 100 years. And we've got literally about 30 seconds. So the key role, the CEO of Viden Health, as well as the head of the medical school now, Dr. Michael Waldron, how key is that and how, 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 how closely is that going to be watched? Uh, the top priority for us right now is to create a shared leadership, um, shared accountability model where we can deliver a more efficient, effective healthcare strategy to 1.4 million patients in Eastern North Carolina. Um, it's part of our mission. It's part of what we need to do and it's what we're going to do uh, in the future. Chancellor, uh, Dr. Rogers, we're glad to have you back in the state. Glad to have you back in the region. Um, uh, we didn't ask you about barbecue. You're off the hook about best barbecue because I know that that's a completely different level of accountability and I know you don't want to get in the middle of that. But thank you. It's good to see you. Alan, congratulations on the chamber. Uh, uh, again, the, the chamber win. And Patrick, uh, always nice to see you as well. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much. Until next week, I'm Chris William. If you have any questions or comments, carolinabusinessreview.org. Happy weekend. Good night now. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.